This is News Talk 980 CKNW. Well, we talked about this a few weeks ago on the program, new disclosure rules on investment fees and what you need to look for and what new information you can get on your investments. But when you look at the statements, do you really look at the fine print? And if somebody asked you, how much money do you pay to your financial advisor every year? Would you know what the dollar figure is? Well, Talbot Stevens is a speaker. He's also the author of The Smart Debt Coach, Secrets of the Rich to Increase Your Wealth and Security. And he joins us on the line now. Talbot, thank you so much for being with us. Glad to be here. Uh, Have the new rules, do you think, about investment fees? Have they helped people understand the statements better and know exactly where their money is going? I think it absolutely helps in terms of being aware of what people are paying. Unfortunately, they don't disclose the entire cost. They don't yet include the cost that you might pay, for instance, to a mutual fund company. Part of that is in there, but really it's just the amount that goes to the advisor. But it certainly helps people realize that, A, they're paying for that advice, and B, they're probably wanting to get some value in return for that. And if somebody wanted to learn more or about the fees that aren't included in that, is there a way for somebody to do that? Well, certainly they can go to every, if they own mutual funds, they're obviously going to be able to look up online what their total management expense ratio is. And that includes the amount that is paid towards the management of the funds. And also, of course, part of that fee goes to the advisor that provides the investments and the ongoing advice. So, so it's really two parts that the investor is paying for. And do you get the sense, do people take the time to read the fine print and see where every penny is going? I think the majority do not. I mean, it's just one of those things that's intimidating. We're not taught about money in general. And, of course, the other reality is most people are very, very busy. So you put all these things together, and there's only a few that would actually bother to look. But these statements are going to cause people to open their eyes and, in some cases, be shocked by how much they're paying. If somebody does see that and, and like you said, is shocked by the amount, what is the course of action there? Do you go to your financial advisor and question how much money you're paying in fees? Well, you, you can certainly have that conversation. That's going to happen automatically. But the reality is it's something that good advisors have been doing all along and letting people know that, yes, you are paying for advice. This is what you get in exchange for it. And hopefully there's real value being delivered. Uh, because and that's the thing and I was reading about this uh, somebody making the argument that this is somebody you might only see once or twice a year uh, but that doesn't mean they're only working for you once or twice a year presumably or you hope that they're working for you all year round and that's what you're paying for absolutely and the other thing I think that's real is that in terms of that client advisor relationship a lot of the work does get done up front to find out what the real goals are, what's important to the individual, what the risk tolerance is, et cetera, and set things onto a course that ideally don't need a lot of adjustment. But yes, there are some rebalancing and goals change from time to time as life circumstances adjust, et cetera. Uh, is, there, is it difficult, do you find, for people as well to have that conversation with your financial advisor or even to take the, another step if you find that maybe this person isn't working as much or isn't giving you what you need, uh, is it difficult for people to sever ties with their advisors? I think there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, the reality is you've got momentum. It's, it's easier not to do anything. And if it's not horrible, people are generally going to continue on with what they're doing. But these statements will cause people to at least question it. And I think that's healthy for both sides. We just need people to understand that, yes, you're paying for advice. Make sure you're getting good value. 
but the reality is there are some people are, are going to be wondering, could I be doing better somewhere else? And that's where the good advisors are actually going to increase their business because they have nothing to worry about. And I would imagine, too, one of the questions people have, and well, hopefully not a lot, that, that you trust your advisor, but once you see the fees and perhaps what the advisor is getting from the investment, questioning whether or not that investment was made in your best interest or because it benefits the advisor. Yeah, and that is a tricky thing, particularly when markets go down. I mean, it's, it's you know, everyone wants to have their investments go up, but the reality is, again, what good advisors do is they'll explain the reality that no one can predict the markets, and certainly the advisor is not in control of what the returns are. You can make a educated guess and prediction upon what portfolio is going to achieve those goals, but at the end of the day, there's so many factors that no one can control it. Uh, do, do people have unreal expectations sometimes of their advisors? I, I think that's absolutely true. In fact, a lot of times people are just focusing on the return. And on the other side of the table, too often, some advisors promise that they can deliver better returns. But while that might happen some years, it's very difficult to be able to say, well, I can do better than my competition year in, year out on that metric. Again, for the simple reason that no one can truly predict returns. You can have a star mutual fund manager that's been top quartile for five years in a row, but that doesn't have anything to do with what's going to happen in the future. Uh, what should people do, or do you have advice for people if they're if you're looking for a financial advisor? What do you look for? Well, I think you definitely want to make sure you've got alignment in terms of the skill set that you're looking for. If you're just looking for basic portfolio management, you can probably find that, and then you're going to want to make sure that they offer the products that you're looking for, and you've got a good personality fit. But if you're looking for full financial planning that really looks into your retirement income projections, perhaps even estate, tax planning services, advice on how to increase wealth in general, you're going to have to look a little deeper and find the advisor that has a track record of doing those types of things. And if, if things do go a bit in the wrong direction, what recourse do people have other than firing your advisor? Is there anything else people should do or can do? Well, if, if there was certainly something that is you know, not aligned with what the regulations require. If, if the investments were completely unsuitable for the risk tolerance, yes, there are recourse. You can certainly try to address that through the courts after, of course, dealing with the investment advisor's dealer isn't satisfactory. But generally, at the end of the day, I think that the individual investor has to assume responsibility for their money, and that means they need to take some time and become, to a small degree at least, educated on what the different responsibilities are and investment basics. Uh, with the new disclosure rules, they, they do offer up more information when it comes to investment fees. Do you think they go far enough? No, I don't think they go all the way, and I think that we'll probably see them totally disclose what the investor is paying. Right now, as I said, what's being disclosed is what the investor pays to the advisor. So in the case of a mutual fund, for example, let's say the fee is 2%. Typically, 1% of that fee will go to the advisor and their dealer, by the way. It doesn't all just go to the advisor. And the other 1% might go to the mutual fund company for the management of the portfolio. So it, it is partial disclosure at this time. But again, I think that the investor can and should be aware of the fact that they're paying, in this case, 2%, not 1%. Uh, which uh, on, an, on a long-term investment can be a lot of money. 
it is a lot of money. And a lot of people think, for instance, that 2%, well, that's, that's a small potatoes. But over a 30-year time period, that 2% difference between, say, a 6% and an 8% return can be a third or even a half of what you end up with in the, road, in the long run. Uh, interesting, uh, interesting information. Talbot, thank you so much for joining us and talking with us this morning. Appreciate your time. I appreciate it, Joe. Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. This is News Talk 980 CKNW.